Welcome to the Air Health, Our Health podcast. I'm Erica, a lung and ICU doctor. Every day in my ICU and clinic, I see patients who are there from breathing unhealthy air. And I started Air Health, Our Health to focus more upstream on the importance of healthy air for healthy people and healthy economies. Thanks for joining me. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown how little trust in science there is in some segments of our society. I am someone who has great respect for the scientific process, has done both bench and clinical research in my career, and I use science every day to keep both myself and my patients alive in the ICU. I trusted the science to be vaccinated for COVID-19 as soon as I could. The world can be a scary place, and finding trusted information can be challenging. I trust the scientific method. It is not perfect, but it is one of the best ways to the truth that we have. Funnily enough, I naively thought that radon would not be a controversial topic, but recently I have been forwarded a variety of articles of questionable merit arguing everything from a protective effect of radon to radon not having a significant health effect at all. These articles have generally seemed to have questionable methods, but I could see how to a layperson or even a non-epidemiologist like myself, they may seem to raise valid concerns. So in this podcast, we are going to talk about epidemiology. Epidemiology is the study of the rates and locations of diseases and factors that may cause disease or worsen health otherwise. Epidemiology requires a deep knowledge of statistics, and most importantly, it requires carefully designing and understanding studies, since if you design a study poorly, you may find no effect. I am not an epidemiologist, but I know enough to know that good data comes from good studies. Garbage in, garbage out, as they say. So for today's podcast, I sought out an epidemiologist to help talk through how the medical community first learned about the health effects of radon, how the studies are designed to determine these effects, and why certain other studies may not be helpful. We also learn a great deal about how radon causes cancer. Today, I am joined by Professor Bill Field. Professor Field has been involved in radon-related research for 30 years. He received his PhD in preventive medicine from the University of Iowa, where he is currently a professor of public health with dual appointments in the Department of Occupational and Environmental Health and the Department of Epidemiology. Dr. Field was the lead author of the Iowa Radon Lung Cancer Epidemiologic Study and has been actively involved in both the North American and global radon epidemiologic pooling efforts. He has worked to launch the WHO Handbook on Indoor Radon, served as a member of the U.S. EPA's Science Advisory Board, and currently serves as a presidential appointee on the Center for Disease Control's Advisory Board on Radiation and Worker Health. In 2012, Dr. Field was the recipient of the University of Iowa's Michael J. Brody Award for his long-term public health commitment to the community, state, region, and nation. In 2017, he received the Iowa Cancer Champion Award. Welcome to the Air Health, Our Health podcast. It's great to be with you. So how did you first become interested in public health, radiation exposure, and radon in particular? Uh, that's a really long story, but <laughs> uh, when I was 12 years old, I had a hearing loss. I had otitis media, just a middle ear infection. And back then uh, they thought it would be worthwhile to do radiation therapy. So I had radiation to my head, x-rays to my head. And I thought as I was laying there in the machine, I said, I wonder what this does to you. Um, so it was, it was a therapy that used back then that wasn't probably wasn't, shouldn't have been used at that time. There should have been better options, but I always was interested in radiation. Then when I was working on my master's degree, I lived right uh, in the vicinity of three mile nuclear accident. So uh, at that time, there was few people doing research. That was a really good opportunity to do research monitoring and radiation around the power plant. That led me to a position in health physics, which is radiation safety at the University of California, Berkeley. And then when I moved to Iowa, my wife took a, a position in internal medicine here at the University of Iowa, 
I enrolled in the doctoral program in preventing medicine and uh, obtained my uh, doctorate degree here at the university. Uh, but surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, given my history with radiation, uh, we were involved with doing surveys of radon at that time. And we found out that Iowa has the highest average radon concentrations due to the glaciation we have here in Iowa. Uh, so that was a really rich uh, a source of uh, data to do a dissertation. So I started working on radon-related research at that time, which involved uh, future uh, health-related studies. Wow. Um, what is glaciation and what does it have to do with radon? Yeah, so a lot of times in the United States, uh, radon comes from radium that's in the soil from, from uranium deposits, radium deposits. But in Iowa, we've had so much, so many glaciers that came down from the Canadian Shield. And the, the glacial material is not really that high in radium, but the rocks that are deposited here are just so pulverized that it's easy for radon to escape from all these little particles. So you can imagine if you had a huge boulder, the radon coming escape from the outside. If you take that same boulder and pulverize it into little pieces, there's a lot of potential for radon to escape from that surface area. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, so what is radon and how does it get into our homes? Right, so radon is a radioactive noble gas. It doesn't react with uh, other chemicals that much. It's odorless, uh, colorless. And I often, I often say that if, if it was colored and, and you would go in your basement or, or your first floor, if you don't have a basement, and you see this green haze emanating from cracks, you would probably do something. But since it's invisible, there's no sensory reminders to make you think about it. It's naturally occurring outdoors. We used to say it's naturally occurring indoors, but we sort of changed that a bit because we build homes in a way that traps radon. So it's kind of technologically enhanced because of the way we build homes indoors. So it's it, it's a gas that comes through, uh, it's, it's, it's easily mobile in the soil, comes through cracks in the foundation, um, penetrates into the home. And in most cases, that's the primary source coming from ground sources where you build your home or, or say workplace. Uh, but you can also get some radon entry into a home if you use groundwater sources of water, uh, like well water. Um, and the radon uh, comes in, in, in with the well water and as the water is used within the house, it off gases say during showering or dishwashing, and that can be a source. Uh, in most cases in the United States, it's, it's from the ground sources, but there's a few states where you can get a pretty substantial contribution from groundwater sources. How did scientists first become aware of the health effects of radon? Yeah, that's, it's, it's a long history. Radon is probably one of the longest and most intensively studied environmental carcinogens that we have. Even back in the 1556, uh, Agricola, which was a scientist back then, did a lot of work on mining, described this disease in, in miners. And, you know, it was probably related to silica, but radon probably pay, played a part. But it wasn't until the 1950s when they first did a review of uh, minor studies, they started, they started thinking there may be some other cause for so many lung cancers in minors. But it wasn't really until the 70s uh, when there was obviously a high uh, rate of lung cancer observed in underground miners that were exposed to, to, mine, to uh, radon gas. And so how did we learn that it causes lung cancer outside of high-risk occupations? Can you talk right, about the so, studies that you've done? Right, right. So a lot of times you find out about carcinogens from people that are occupationally exposed uh, first because they have higher uh, concentrations or higher exposure rates. 
than the general population. And then it's, it's generally commonplace then to explore whether or not exposures at lower concentrations also cause risk. So well, the interesting thing about the minor studies, there were a diverse set of minors. Uh, minors were mostly male, um, but there were a lot of mines where workers were exposed to radon concentrations that you may actually run into if you spend 70 years in your home. So there's a lot of overlap be between what you can get in a mine versus what the cumulative exposure may be in a home. And uh, there were interpolations where you, ext you extrapolate uh, exposures from the mine and you say, well, if a person in a home was exposed to this, what would the rate of cancer be? So that's where the, the first risk estimates came from uh, for lung cancer. Uh, but then uh, there was concerns that there's differences between the mine and the home environment. So you can imagine it was mostly male workers in mines. Uh, the depositional environment or the air was much different in mines versus home. Uh, there's potential for other exposures in the mines, a uh, higher rate of exposure. And you can imagine the breathing rates differently, different from miners versus living in the home. So there's more uh, breathing through your mouth or higher rates of breathing. So there's a real push to uh, look at radon health risk directly at home. So there's been well over 20 case control studies that have been done around the world. And in these case control studies, what you do is, is we perform one in Iowa. So you look over a number of years and you, you enroll people that develop lung cancer and then you measure radon in their homes. So you compare that concentration or that exposure to control. So these are people that are matched by sex and age and you look at the radon concentrations in their homes and then you compare the people that have lung cancer to the people that, that don't have lung cancer. And if the exposure is higher for the people with lung cancer, that shows there's a risk. And that's what these studies basically did. So there's been studies done in North America and Europe, and we pulled these studies. And when you pull studies, you take the individual data and you have a bigger sample size, which gives you more power to look at specific exposures within, within that range or certain types of lung cancer. So when we pulled these studies, we found that there was a, there was a statistically significant increase in risk even even above, or I'm sorry, even below the EPA's action level for picocuries per liter. So if you live in a home and you're living in a home, even if it's below the EPA's action level four, say two or three, there's still a fairly uh, significant chance that you can develop lung cancer. And, you know, I think we all often think about lung cancer risk from smoking, and it sounds like there is an interaction between radon and smoking, um, but also that just radon on its own is a significant cause of lung cancer. What do we know about the interaction between radon and smoking, and what do we know right. about lung cancer in the absence of smoking? Right. So what we know, and we have this information from uh, radon exposed to minors, as well as in the home environment, that there's a interaction between, as you mentioned, an interaction between radon exposure and smoking. And the interaction isn't additive. It's not like you have this risk from smoking and this risk from radon and you add those risks together. It's actually synergistic or more than additive, but it's not that much higher. It's just a little bit higher than what you, what you would get if you would just add the risk. So there is synergism there. It's not multiplicative. Um, so there is that risk. And what a lot of people don't realize is that there's radiation in tobacco smoke as well. One of the decay products of radon is, is uh, polonium-218 uh, and 214. Well, there's also a polonium-210 that's in cigarettes as well. So when the plants are growing out in the field, they have these little sticky hairs on the bottom 
called trichomes and the radon decay products attached to these sticky hairs and then the tobacco is dried and you smoke, the tobacco is smoked. So you're getting radiation exposure, radon exposure, decay product exposure from both in living in a home as well as from the tobacco. So there's a, and then tobacco has probably another hundreds of different other carcinogens that add to the increased risk. Wow, I had no idea that you, in addition to everything else, get radiation from your tobacco yeah. cigarette. If we all needed another reason to help people quit smoking. Right, right. Yeah, in, in fact, if, if, you, if someone would smoke a couple packs of cigarettes per day, they get more radiation exposure than what nuclear workers are allowed to receive. So it's a significant really? source of radiation, yes. So how would you frame kind of the quality of the evidence that radon causes lung cancer in non-smokers? Right, um, right. And... How you would frame that is, you know, we have the data from the from the minor studies as well as the uh, studies performed in people living in their homes. But I think it's really important for listeners to realize that it's not really the radon gas itself that's causing the lung cancer. It's really these decay products that I talked about. So it's radon decays. It's a gas. It forms a series of radioactive decay particles. And these radioactive decay particles are little solids that get suspended in the air. And there's some, some attached to dust, some stay unattached. And when you're in a room, you breathe in these decay products into your lungs and that's what can initiate the cancer. So the biological mechanism for someone that smokes or someone that doesn't smoke is the same. These little particles that get deposited release these, these radi radioactive type particles called alpha, alpha particles. And these are pretty big sized particles. They don't travel very far. They travel less than half an inch in your lung, but they do a lot of damage in your lung. So the biological mechanism for, if you have radon exposure as a smoker, or if you're a never smoker, is pretty much the same. And what happens is these little decay products hit your DNA and they can cause DNA breaks, uh, single strand or double strand that sometimes get misrepair and cause cancer, or they can cause free radicals which also damage the DNA and can initiate lung cancer. So it doesn't matter if you smoke or not, you're still at risk because the damage that's being done is the same if you're smoking cigarettes. It's just if you're smoking, you're getting more damage from the alpha particles from the tobacco plus the other carcinogens. There are often articles in the lay press or controversies that seem to arise where people claim that radon health risks are overblown or that low radon levels are protective. Where do you think that comes from? Well, it, yeah, and it's it's been common. It's common for uh, the radon studies. Uh, a lot of studies that are done uh, looking at the risk posed by radon are done by ecologic studies. And when I talk about an ecologic study, what I'm talking about is a study that takes uh, average radon concentrations in a county, uh, say within a state, and then they compare that to the lung cancer rates within those counties. And when you're not getting individual level data, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential bias associated with those studies. The reason so many of those studies are done is because they're cheap. They use existing data. So a health department can do a study uh, with you know, just one investigator that, that you know, costs less than $1,000. But yet when the lay public see those results, they don't understand that the scientific rigor or the scientific power of that study is not very great. But yet it gets interpreted to the lay public as if that finding is, is equal to say a case control study I was talking about then can cost 1.5 or $2 million to conduct. 
So it's hard to weigh the evidence without really looking at the source. The other thing that's kind of unique about radon is radon is affected so much by housing type, what kind of home you live in. And if you look at radon at the county level, there's an inverse relationship between smoking rates and radon concentrations. And that's driven by generally, uh, there's, a, there's a tendency, there's a strong association between smoking and socioeconomic factors. So people that make less money they will generally have less radon in their home because their home's a little bit different. It's less airtight. Uh, there's a lot of factors. So at the county level, you can't adjust for those socioeconomic factors. So there's really this, this inverse association. So it may actually look from these kind of studies that uh, if you live in a county uh, where there's where there's high smoking, you may have lower radon concentrations, or, or if you have high radon in those counties, you may have lower radon concentrations. Just in fact, because of the socioeconomics of those factors. So there's a lot of intricacies in these studies that you really have to delve into. But I think there's, there's a lot of uh, misperceptions out there about radon. Fortunately, a scientist, general, most scientists today uh, will view science, base, look at the basis for radon-related research. It's a strong foundation. And I'll give you an example. When I work with the World Health Organization, uh, we develop guidance for member countries we went into a, a room and there were investigators and lead scientists from over 30 countries in that room. And within a day, we came to a consensus that radon is indeed a, a major environmental health risk and action needs to be taken in, in all member countries. So it's very hard nowadays to find consensus with anything, let alone consensus that radon is a major health risk. Yeah, well, certainly all the major, you know, health organizations like the American Lung Association, American Cancer Society um, have all looked at the evidence and found it pretty convincing. Um, it also just seems like there's this strain of anti-science denialism out there right now in our culture that is a little challenging for those of us who are interested in using science to guide it, health it, responses. It, it's, it's tremendously challenging, but I think podcasts such as the one you're doing here really helps to uh, provide information to to your listeners that, that does a really great service uh, to to our country. Well, thanks. Appreciate what, appreciate what you're doing. That's the goal. So, what what is the scale of this? How many people are getting lung cancer from radon? Would you estimate in the U.S. or around the world? Right. So we estimate. I'm not sure about the global. I haven't seen the global estimate uh, lately. But in the United States, we estimate there's about 21,000 people that die of of lung cancer related to radon each year. Um, and that number is changing slightly uh, because the smoking rates are going down. So there's less of synergism, and there's less of an interaction with radon that we used to see. But unfortunately, the number of people at risk from radon exposure uh, is much greater than it's ever been. So we have a lot of larger population exposed to radon than we did 20 years ago, unfortunately. Yeah, and now everyone's working to make their house airtight and energy efficient. So they're going to be trapping <laughs> right. more gases. That's right. That's right. So it's about 21,000. And if you would look at radon related lung cancer in its own disease category, it would be one of the top 10 um, causes of cancer mortality in the United States. And it's also interesting to look at, if you look at uh, the number of people that die from lung cancer each year uh, that never smoked is around 20,000 people. And if you use that as its own disease category, it would be within the top 10 causes of cancer mortality overall. So when you compare the radon-induced lung cancer to the overall 140,000 people or so that die from lung cancer, it looks small. But if you look at it on its own merit, as far as its contribution, it's one of our 
that's probably our leading environmental cause of cancer mortality in the United States. So what should we as individuals and communities do to decrease the risk of radon to ourselves and our community? Right, good question. We can talk about problems all the time, but the thing with radon, the great, the great aspect of radon is it is fixable. Um, so one of the things that, that I've been advocating for is, is and be working on with the states is to develop radon resistant new construction. So there are methods to uh, keep radon out of a house when you build a house that costs less than $1,000. So you know, maybe a couple fixtures here and there uh, when you're building the house, you can, you can build it out. So it doesn't enter home to any extent. You can also mitigate homes, but the first step is, is to really test. So everyone really needs to test their homes. Even if you live in a state where it doesn't look like there's a high potential for radon, you can never tell. The only way to know is to test. Testing is easy. Uh, you can get radon detectors off in uh, local health departments or hardware stores in your area, or call the radon, uh, hot, uh, radon hotline the EPA has uh, set up, and they can help you find a detector. I think that number is 1-800-SOS-RADON if, if you want to call and get that information. So that's very, I think that's very helpful. But testing is the number one thing. And if you do find you have a problem, um, a system can be installed in the house that ventilates the area underneath either the basement floor or the pad that's, if you don't have a basement, the pad uh, on the main ground level. So instead of the radon coming in the house, it's evacuated through a four inch PVC pipe up through the roof, so it never enters the home. Systems like that generally cost about $1,000, $1,500, and it is covered under a lot of healthcare spending accounts or flexible spending accounts. Really? That's great to know because yes. that's, you know, so many of my patients, you know, as a lung doctor, you know, when you can't breathe, a lot of the times people end up falling out of the workforce a little bit right, or right. to a place where they can't really afford things. So when I'm trying to get them to spend that much money and they're Googling that, you know, radon's a big right. conspiracy and all those yes. things. So, you know, that's, although a lot of them also don't have high deductible, H, you know, healthcare plans with HSAs, but it's right. good to know so that. It is helpful. Yes. Secondary yeah. benefits is that Sometimes if you have cracks in, in your foundation where the radon's coming up, uh, preventing air from coming up on your foundation also has a tendency to reduce humidity in the basements, which may also help with mold issues as well. Oh, great. Are there any grant programs that you're familiar with for people who can't afford it to kind of get help with radon mitigation? Or There, there aren't too many, but there are some. Um, and the best way to find out about those is is to contact the radon lead in the health department in the state that you live in. And uh, I know of four or five states that have great programs to help um, certain income levels to put in systems, while other states may not have as many resources. But the first step would be to contact the local, or either the local health department, if you have a county health department, or definitely the state uh, health department that deals with radon. Well, speaking of health departments, are there any important policy changes you think might help with this public health burden? Well, we're, we're moving in a lot of, uh, not so many states, but local uh, localities where homes that are built, especially in high radon areas, are built radon resistant. So in other words, if you build a house in the county I live in, uh, you can't build a house, it's built in. So the systems put in and always always mitigation systems have fans that go up to pull out the radon. So the systems put in, you move into home and uh, if you test and the radon's high, all you have to do at that point is just add a fan. 
So we're really trying to recommend that more parts of the country, especially high radon areas, uh, develop uh, construction uh, with uh, radon resistant new construction. I mean, we don't use lead paint anymore. We don't do a lot of practices that are harmful. Here's something that can be done up front for less than a thousand dollars that will pay dividends for the life of the home. So that's that's the big one. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so interesting. You know, I was kind of looking into this in my state. I don't even think, you know, we require you to do a radon test to sell a home. I mean, some people will do it. Yes. You know, we don't, apparently you have to test in schools, but you don't, may not have to do anything about it. I mean, it's just kind of right. wild to think about, you know, the massive cost of 20,000 lung cancer deaths, which means right. an exponentially more number of lung cancer treatments. And those drugs are not right. cheap. <laughs> right. And you think about schools, there are some states and there are some programs doing a lot of good work with schools, but we're really behind in workplace. Uh, the workplace ocean limit for radon is 12 times higher than any other country in the world. <laughs> so we're really behind with workplaces and we're behind, we're behind with schools. And if you think about the comparative risk to, to radon and smoking, there are some comparisons. It's, and if you would think that, you would think how many parents would make their kids go to school and smoke cigarettes? Well, going to a school where you have radon exposure can cause very similar lung damage to potential future lung cancer for kids, but it's how you frame the risk. And there yeah, are we, certainly comparative risks. Yeah, we sit around and wonder why healthcare costs are increasing, but then we don't, you know, do any of the upstream right. things to just decrease them. <laughs> exactly. And this is an easy one to do. Absolutely. Well, I want to be really respectful of your time. Um, is there anything else you would like to add? No, I would just say that uh, first step is just testing. I'd urge everyone just to, to test. The test is cheap. And if you look at it from this perspective, in some states where you may be listening to this, you may have to do a radon test if you sell your home. And if you have high radon concentrations, you'll probably have to fix it at that time. So why not test now, fix the problem? Therefore, when you go to sell the house, you have you have some benefit from reducing radon concentrations that you may have to fix anyway. So I would just urge everyone to test and, and just, just look, seek out more information. And for healthcare providers, we developed a, uh, a recent guideline for healthcare providers that you can just find by Googling radon healthcare providers uh, guidance that uh, gives some suggestions for healthcare providers how to reach out to uh, their, their, uh, their patients uh, so they can educate them about the risk posed by radon and how, what they can do to address it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time and all the science you do and um, for working to prevent lung cancer. Okay. Well, thank you for what you do to help educate people. It's really important. Thanks. Thanks. It is always such a pleasure to talk to true masters of their field who understand a topic as completely as Professor Field. I always love to learn new things. I have spent decades learning about toxic effects of cigarettes, and I had no idea that people received radiation dosing from cigarettes as well. January is Radon Awareness Month. If you have not tested your home yet for radon, please do so. If you have not tested since performing home upgrades, please test again. Please look at the show notes or accompanying website post for more information. On the next podcast episode, I will be talking to a home inspector who grew up in a house with high radon levels and lost his non-smoking mother to cancer. For him, radon testing and mitigation is obviously a personal and professional priority. For the month of January, my donation and action ask is to consider joining my Fight for Air climb for the American Lung Association. In non-COVID times, this is usually an event where people come together and climb a skyscraper or a stadium or other big monument in their town together. Obviously, this will be a remote event this year, but still a lot of fun. 
You can join from anywhere in the world and climb your way wherever you are. If you don't want to climb, you can also just donate to support the team. Find the link in the show notes or in the accompanying post at airhealthourhealth.org. We're coming to the end of the podcast. For more information about the importance of healthy air, please visit airhealthourhealth.org and follow on Instagram and Facebook. Remember, if you do nothing else, don't light things on fire and breathe them into your lungs. This applies to tobacco, diesel fuel, forests, and more. Thanks for joining me today. I am a full-time physician and not an epidemiologist or public health expert. This podcast is for your education and entertainment, but should not be interpreted as individual medical advice. Please consult with your own healthcare team to determine what is right for your health. Thank you and stay safe.